The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. What is up? Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, August 25th. Frank Stample joined by Scott White for maybe our longest weekday rundown of the entire season. This will truly be a test of our abilities. Scotty, are you ready? I guess so. I don't know. I don't know why you did that, Frank. You don't have a choice. <laughs> you, you why have to did be you ready. do that to yourself? I, I don't you make know. the rundown. There was just so much stuff that I felt like happened on Tuesday. So let's not waste any okay. more time uh, today on the podcast. We're going to fire up the worryometer. We have some surging hitters. I think I found the most under rostered hitter on CBS. We'll talk about that and much more. But of course, let's start with a prospect call up, which we had on Monday. And the reason why I'm talking with this is because he was inside Scott's five on the verge for basically the past month. He's a pretty big deal. It's Edward Cabrera, Marlins starting pitcher. He's 28% rostered on CBS. Six starts at AAA, 3.68 ERA. The whip is a little bit high at 1.40. Lots of walks, lots of strikeouts, 48 strikeouts, over 29 and a third innings pitched. Scott, what should this roster rate be by next week? Currently 28%. I would guess... I would guess, I don't think it should be quite to 50. I don't guess, I, you know, obviously there's a lot of upside here. Really good swing and miss arsenal. We've seen plenty of strikeouts from him the last two minor league seasons. Really had a breakout in 2019. Uh, he had a 223 ERA between high class A and double A that year. But, you know, big reason he had that breakout season is because he got his stuff under control. The control issues went away in 2019. They've come back this year. Really, since he got promoted to to AAA, he's he issued at least three walks in. Let's see, five of his six starts at AAA for a rate of 5.8 per nine innings. Still, plenty of strikeouts, tons of strikeouts, but you know, that's not a rate that would lend lend itself to success at the major league level, which, you know, maybe he'll come up and overcome it right away. It's happened before, but I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical that's going to happen now. I'll also point out it could be a one-and-done situation because Trevor Rogers, who's been away from the team for a while now for a family emergency, he just began a rehab assignment on Tuesday, 
I think he's supposed to make one more rehab appearance after that, and then he'll be rejoining the rotation. Doesn't mean Cabrera can't stick around. Obviously, Jesus Lazardo has shown nothing since joining the rotation. The Marlins could easily send him down instead. But I don't know. Obviously, Cabrera is going to have to come up and deliver for that to happen. And I just, I, I think in most leagues, I can find a, a, a starting pitcher on the waiver wire. I'm more interested in him given his control issues. And, and given, you know, I've talked about it a lot, but given that for the most part, even going back to last, last season, these these prospects have had a really hard time breaking in and, and making an impact. Yeah, that's definitely true. Jesus Lazardo, by the way, on Tuesday, four and two-thirds, ten hits, five earned runs. More on him a little bit later on. He'll be part of our uh, Worryometer segment, more so for Dynasty Leagues. But, Scott, how would you rank these most added starting pitchers right now? Daniel Lynch is number one, and he had a solid start again on Monday against the Astros. Five innings, one run, I believe it was. I have it written down somewhere. Five strikeouts. Five strikeouts over five innings against the Houston Astros. He's up to 51% rostered. Nestor Cortez is 36%. And Edward Cabrera, 28. How, how would you rank those three? I would have to rank Cabrera last of them. I think I go Cortez number one, even though you know some of the underlying... like <laughs> The fly ball rate's really high. The swinging strike rate is really low. So you know the, the marks, the indicators I normally look for in a starting pitcher... Cortez falls well short of him and just yet he's just he's just such an oddity because of the way he mixes up his delivery and keeps giving hitters different looks. It it, it does seem like like he he might just be somebody who breaks all the rules. So I'll go Nestor Cortez number 1. I'll go Daniel Lynch number 2. I wish the walks, you know, talk talk about walks for Cabrera. I mean, Lynch's walks have been kind of a problem since he got called up and yet the overall Production has been great since returning from the minors. Six starts, he has a 2.27 ERA. So I don't know how you go against that now for Cabrera. Cabrera, Cabrera, will have third here. And and again, I I don't I don't like taking this position. It was fun the the past however many years it was when we could just hype any prospect who got called up because. Odds were good to great that they would come up and just meet the full extent of their potential right away. It happened so often that it was worth just hyping everybody who came up. And that was that was the more fun position to be in. There are still going to be players like that who get called up and, and are great right away. And I, I can't say for sure that Cabrera won't be one of those guys, but you you have to consider what you're giving up to invest a roster spot in him. And if it means giving up, say, a Nestor Cortez or a Daniel Lynch, I, I don't think it's worth it. Yeah, and I think that that's a really fair position to have, Scott. Look no further than the pitcher that leads, that was within that group, didn't lead that group, but Daniel Lynch, right? When he first came up, he's a well-regarded prospect. He struggled mightily, got sent back down, and, and now he's pitching well. So it doesn't mean that that's going to happen for Edward Cabrera. Obviously, uh, prospect development is not linear, but, I mean, depending on, based on what we've seen the past two years, I, mm-hmm. I think you're allowed to be skeptical. Oh, my goodness gracious. What do we got? Oh, my good goodness gracious. All right, Scott, where do you want to go first? I want to go with a guy I've been hyping a lot recently, Ranger Suarez. Ranger Suarez had the start I've been waiting for. He had the start I thought he was going to have last time out 
against the Diamondbacks. And one of the worst teams in baseball, uh, it seemed like he had, since, uh, since his transition to the bullpen, he had built up his pitch count to a point that he was ready to start giving real length as a starting pitcher, going the number of innings that's the minimum for a quality start, six plus, you know? It, it seemed like Suarez was on the verge of doing that, and and it just so happened as it lined up that he was facing the Diamondbacks. So great, this this is somebody we're going... This is somebody I'm really, I really need to hype to the hills here. And uh, obviously, he let us all down against the Diamondbacks. So naturally, against the Rays, he throws six scoreless innings. Was it scoreless or did he allow a run? It was six and two-thirds. Two thirds, six and two-thirds, and he allowed a run against run. the Rays. Against the Rays. And he struck out seven, too, which is notable because you know the, the strikeout rate is nearly one per inning. From Ranger Suarez, which okay, I I understand in 2021 one per inning isn't isn't getting anybody excited, but you have to remember like that's not even what Ranger that that's not that's not Ranger Suarez what what really sets him apart. What sets him apart is the 67.2 percent ground ball rate, which would lead all qualifiers by far. It would rank behind Fromber Suarez or Fromber Suarez. It would rank behind <laughs> Fromber Valdez if we were counting him among qualifiers. But you know, basically, Valdez and, and Suarez are both way ahead of the pack in ground ball rate. And at a time in baseball history when runs are primarily being scored by way of home runs, that is a a world beating skill to put the ba- ball on the ground that often. It explains why Suarez, between the bullpen and the rotation this year, now has a one forty six ERA. And, you know, apart from that start against the Diamondbacks, where he, let's see, he allowed three earned runs in four and two-thirds innings. He was mostly single to death, gave gave up eight hits in those four and two-thirds innings. Uh, You know, apart from that, his transition to the rotation has gone swimmingly. Again, it's taken a while to build up to the point that he could go six-plus innings, but now that he's there and he just had this start against one of the best teams in baseball... I, I think I think it's time to pick up Suarez in all leagues. I think he might be a better version of Framber Valdez, basically, because he doesn't have those control issues that that Valdez does. And and the thing that sets Valdez apart, other than just the ground ball rate itself, is that usually extreme ground ball pitchers like that don't even get a strikeout per inning. They're some of the worst strikeout pitchers in baseball. Valdez is at least decent, and so is Suarez, while also getting ground balls better than anybody. Yeah, again, Ranger Suarez, only 39% rostered, so widely available on CBS. And if the schedule lines up the way that it says now, he's at the Miami Marlins next week. So obviously just a fantastic matchup for Ranger Suarez. Scott, how would he rank among that group that I gave you before? Edward Cabrera, Daniel Lynch, Nestor Cortez. I think think I'm going to put Suarez right at the top. I think so. All right. Really, really restored my confidence with this start after letting us all down last time. Would you drop Tyler McGill, who rightfully now it looks like uh, you um, should have been skeptical about, which you were. Uh, He gave up seven earned runs against the Giants on Tuesday. He now has a 7.10 ERA over his last five starts. Only one quality start during that span. Would you drop Tyler McGill for all of the names that we mentioned? You know, he was coming off one of his best starts, actually. Also against the Giants. That one was in San Francisco. You know, maybe they just... Maybe they just got too good a look... Too good of a look at Tyler McGill. Um, I would drop him for Suarez. 
I might drop him for Cortez. I don't think I'd drop him for Lynch or for Cabrera. Which is, you know, it's kind of funny because those are the big prospects, right? Those are the those are the upside plays in theory. But um yeah, it's 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 kind of a seeing is believing thing for me. And you know, as good as Lynch has been since returning, like I said, there are some underlying concerns there with the walks and the inconsistent whiffs. Yeah, I'm with you actually. I, I think I would I would try to hold McGill. I would drop him for Ranger Suarez. Might drop him for Daniel Lynch. That one's close for me. But I told you, I, I really don't like when young starting pitchers face the same offense two starts in a row, especially one like the Giants where they're very crafty and they put the ball in play. They're they're a pesky bunch, but they're a good offense. So uh, I, I just didn't really like this spot for uh, Tyler McGill. I know a lot of people started him because he had two starts. It is what it is. I found the most under-rostered hitter on CBS, Scott. Are you ready? Oh, my goodness gracious. I'm ready. Tell me who you think it is. He actually plays for the offense that destroyed Tyler McGill on Tuesday, and it is Brandon Belt, who went four for five with a double dong. He has now started six straight games. So before he was sitting out here and there, it might have been because just coming back off the IL, they want to give him some rest, and the Giants do that with their veteran hitters. So I think that's fair. He's probably still going to sit out some games moving forward. He is 33% rostered, Brandon Belt is. He has seven games next week. As of now, it looks like three lefties are on the schedule, but two more home runs. And similarly to Longoria, the StatCast page is awesome, Scott, for Brandon Belt. So at 33% rostered, I think he is the most under-rostered hitter on CBS. I don't know that I agree. I think, well, I'm not as confident as you that the Giants are going to start playing him regularly now. He did start against the most recent left-handed pitcher they faced on Saturday. But the previous four games that they faced against the left-hand, those were the only four he sat out uh, since since coming back from the IL. They were all the, the four lefters, the four left-handers the Giants faced. And when he was up earlier in the season, uh, again, he didn't sit against every lefty. Scott, what if I told you this? But he said it gets quite a few. His splits this season against lefties entering Tuesday, 317 batting average, 1066 OPS, four homers. Yeah, but it's not even so much about that. Darren Ruff has a 941 OPS this year, playing almost exclusively against right-handers, and I just I don't know that they're going to... You mean against lefties, right? <sighs> against lefties, yeah. I'm having trouble speaking tonight. <laughs> um... Yeah, I, I just I don't I don't trust that. Like I hope so. I hope you're right. I, I Brandon Belt was ridiculous in twenty twenty. Obviously it was a weird season where nobody got a reasonable where he didn't get a reasonable sample of data from anybody. But just to remind you, he had three oh nine with a ten fifteen OPS in twenty twenty. And what really changed for him is his success in San Francisco. Uh, you know, we started seeing it play much, much more favorably for hitters, not so punishing like it had been for its entire history. And, you know, they, they changed the dimensions leading into that season. There, there might be a few reasons why that happened. It had always been a hindrance for Belt. You had always looked at Belt and, and his home away splits and said, man, if this guy could get out of San Francisco, he might be a, a stud. But last year, he's, his numbers were actually way better at home, and the same is true this year. At home this year, Brandon Belt is hitting 383 
Let me make sure I got the right here. You know, that's that's 2020. Sorry. I have at last home- year he hit 383 at home. This year he's batting. Uh, he's down to 266 now, but a 945 OPS versus 793 at, on the road. Yeah. Um, well, Tuesday's performance is going to help out his road because he was in City Field for whatever it's worth. But I, and 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 my okay. Well, he still plays only half his games at home. You might be thinking, but my point is that we've all we've always known him to hit well on the road. If if he's capable of hitting that well at home now, and he it started last year, so we got a pretty good set sample of that now. Uh, then you think, okay, probably the home, the away numbers are going to come around and he'll end up hitting better than his overall batting average right now is only, it's only what? It's only 234, something like that. Two, so I, I, yeah. I know I'm kind of all over the place with this, but I hope they end up playing him every day. I think there's some value to him, even if they don't. And I think there's a good chance he's, Actually, better than his numbers, his his raw numbers say he is. You pointed out the stack cast page lit up like a Christmas tree, but it all really comes down to the playing time. And I just think the Giants have too many, too many mouths to feed, to use a fantasy football phrase. <laughs> I actually misspoke, so let me let me correct myself because the stack cast page is actually not all that great this year. It was great last year, but a 207 XBA 445 expected slug. A lot of that has to do with a 31% strikeout rate this year. So uh, his strikeout rate is up around 11% compared to 11 percentage points compared to where it was. Yeah, that is high for him, right? Last season. Uh, so yes, he's not hitting the ball nearly as hard, but I mean, there are, there are still some very nice things. So I, I'm, I'm still interested. I, I know Darren Ruff is there. I'm trying to see, like, when's the last time? Yeah, Darren Ruff started two of the last two of their last three games. He's going to be annoying. All right, Scott, I guess he's not the most under-rostered, but I am interested in Brandon Belt. If you have a first baseman that's just kind of like sinking you or a utility bat, I definitely have interest in uh, Brandon Belt. Do we have more interest in Brandon Belt over somebody like Nathaniel Lowe? That's not Nate Lowe anymore. Apparently, he goes by Nathaniel again. On MLB.com, it's Nathaniel. On Fangrass, it's Nathaniel. So we're going with Nathaniel Lowe. He went 5-for-5 with his 13th home run of the season on Tuesday. He's only 50% rostered. I mean, as much as I liked him earlier in the season, Scott, I mean, even I could barely get excited about this. So, Yeah, I mean, it was obviously a big game with the five hits, but it was his first home run in August, and he hasn't had more than two home runs in any month since April. So yeah. I, I don't know what you're expecting to get from Lowe, whether whether he goes by Nate or Nathaniel. Yeah, I, part of the reason the power is down so far, a 60% ground ball rate in August, and that's overall been a pretty big issue for him. I believe it's over 50% for the entire season, the ground ball rate for Nathaniel Lowe. So he's 50% rostered. I would rather have Brandon Belt. Then low if we're just comparing yeah, those two. Sure. Before we hit the news and notes, fantasy football today, draft prep and for charity month, supporting St. Jude is underway. Throughout the month, the FFT crew will have various eBay auctions supporting St. Jude, culminating in the six hour draftathon event on September 1st. Up for bid are pre-draft calls with fantasy experts, a spot in an expert fantasy league, a custom-designed fantasy football team logo, and more. Go to cbssports.com slash eBay to donate and bid. That's cbssports.com slash 
eBay. News and notes. Jack Flaherty gave up four earned runs over two innings pitch on Tuesday and was pulled due to shoulder tightness. His last three fastballs recorded were all below 89 miles per hour. He was averaging 93.5 miles per hour on his fastball entering this start. So, obviously, that is pretty worrisome. And given you know he's dealt with some oblique stuff this year, I wouldn't be surprised if Flaherty yeah. goes back on the I.L. Yeah, I am expecting that we will not see Jack Flaherty again this year because he seemed to be seemed like he was in pain and obviously his stuff was diminished. So um you know, I hope it's I hope it's not a serious shoulder injury, but I, I think regardless, just because we're looking at less than six weeks left in the season, that's probably it for Flaherty. Don't drop him yet, but be ready to drop him very soon. Jacob DeGrom will undergo an MRI on Wednesday. That will very likely determine if he has a chance to return this season. So we will let you know once we know. Finally, we get some big names back. Francisco Lindor was activated. He was batting third and playing shortstop, which meant that Javier Baez shifted over to second base and he was hitting cleanup. I believe Lindor went 0 for 4 in his return picking up right where he left off. According to Dusty Baker, Alex Bregman should be activated in the next day or two. So some good news there. Kyle Tucker, another one, was activated from the COVID IL, but was not in the lineup Tuesday. We see that often where the first game back from the COVID IL, they're not in the lineup, but hopefully he is in there on Wednesday. Clayton Kershaw threw a 20-pitch bullpen session on Tuesday and will throw another one later this week that includes some breaking balls. He's trying to make a return sometime in September. We don't know yet if he's going to be a starter or reliever, so pay attention there. Craig Council said Freddie Peralta will th- likely throw off the mound at some point this week. Peralta is on the IL with right shoulder inflammation. Hugh Darvish could return Thursday against the Dodgers, though nothing is official yet. Kevin Gosman was placed on the COVID IL due to vaccine side effects. Tim Anderson was held out yet again and has missed four straight with leg soreness. He did say he expects to return on Wednesday. Trevor Rogers, which you mentioned earlier, Scott, started a rehab assignment at Tuesday on Tuesday at low A. He'll make two starts before returning to the Marlins rotation. Kent Maeda was sent for a second opinion on his forearm injury. He was placed on the IL on Monday. Apparently, the Twins are pretty concerned about potential UCL issues for Maeda, which would definitely affect his keeper and dynasty value. He's a little bit older anyway. I think he's 34 or 35 years old, so... Not like, he has a, not like he has a ton of dynasty value, but obviously this would affect it. Eduardo Escobar went to the IL with a right hamstring strain and will miss about two weeks. Cole Irvin left his start on Tuesday with a minor hip issue. Evan Longoria came back off the COVID IL and then went back on the regular IL with a right hand contusion. Chaz McCormick went to the IL with hand soreness, which secures Jake Myers will remain in the lineup even once Kyle Tucker is back. And we've been receiving some emails, Scott, about Jake Myers. So would you like to reiterate your interest level in him? Probably in deeper leagues. He's 17% rostered, Jake Myers. Yeah, I'm pretty interested. I, I think he's worth a flyer in any five outfielder league, given how productive he was at AAA this year. If I could pull up those numbers real quick, I could tell you that he hit 343 with 16 homers, a 1,006 OPS in just 68 games, 16 homers, 10 steals. And since coming up, you know, already three home runs in, in just 52 plate appearances, uh, OPS over 900. 
been the, the, the strikeout rate's high for Jake Myers so far, but that wasn't an issue in the minors. So, you know, as with increased exposure, I think there's a good chance that actually gets better rather than worse. He may be a, a nice little find here down the stretch. We'll see if he keeps it going. Obviously, there's there's a chance the leak could catch up to him, but. I'm definitely interested in Myers making hard contact and looking good so far. Yeah, he's a really good athlete. 93 mile per hour average exit velocity so far, 15% barrel rate. It's only 33 batted balls. And he's in the 97th percentile in sprint speed. So that combination of being able to hit the ball that hard and being that fast, I mean, that, that's that's pretty intriguing. Uh, would you add him in 12-team, five outfielder leagues, Scott, or is that too shallow for now? I think if you can make room for him there, again, no guarantees. It's 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 a speculative pickup, but it could uh, it could pay big dividends for you potentially. In his first game back, TJ Antone once again left with injury, and Reds manager David Bell said Antone quote definitely felt something in his elbow on Tuesday night. So he was dealing with a forearm injury before this. It's a complete mess for uh, for Captain Hook. TJ Antone. Spencer Howard, Dane Dunning, and three other Texas Rangers were placed on the COVID IL. Anthony DeScalfani played catch Tuesday and could be activated to start during the upcoming weekend series in Atlanta. Travis Darno was back from the paternity list on Tuesday against the Yankees, which, by the way, Scott, what a game, dude. Like, even if the Yankees lost that game, I, I almost couldn't watch it. it. It was so stressful just to watch that game. So uh, they came out on top, but... Freddie Freeman up, bases loaded. I, I thought for sure that they were going to lose, but it was fun. It was a fun game. I don't know if you feel the same way. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't care for the ending of that game. The Braves, have, um, the Yankees have poured some water, some cold water on the Braves' hot streak here through the first two games of the series. I guess the only two games of the series, right? Because now the Braves have those weird back-to-back off days. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. So. Two game sweep for the Yankees. Yeah, um, I don't think I, I think Chapman's job is secure, but obviously pretty shaky. He's looked pretty shaky since returning. Now, Zach Britton's out of the picture now. Yes, he went on the IL dealing with an elbow injury. Chad Green has picked up some saves recently. Uh, Chapman had to get bailed out in that game. Wandy Peralta came in for the final out. We'll talk about Chapman in just a little bit. He's part of the Worryometer segment. Uh, better late than never, Nelson Cruz made his first career start at first base in a National League park on Tuesday. And it makes sense. If the Rays have aspirations of making the World Series, they need to find a way to get Nelson Cruz in the lineup when they play in National League parks, assuming that they do. So I think that makes sense. Akil Badu made his return and was leading off for the Tigers. Leody Tavares was recalled by the Rangers and led off Tuesday. He was batting 245 with 17 homers and 13 steals at AAA. 8% rostered. Some power, some speed, a lot of strikeouts, low batting average, high OBP. Anything to see here, Scott? Leody Tavares? I mean, there could be. There could be. I, I just wish... It, it doesn't sound like he was productive enough at AAA to, to convince me he's going to, to make a to make a fantasy relevant impact after getting called up. I am surprised to see that power production from him. Pleasantly surprised to see him had, having 17 home runs at AAA. So if you are in a five outfielder league, would you rather have Tavares or Jake Myers? Myers. Already. Corey Kluber made another rehab start at AA on Tuesday. I don't know if I wrote down his line. Man, 
my notes here are just a complete mess. Oh, here we go. I got it. Three and two thirds, two earned runs, four strikeouts. I saw that Jose Urquidy also made a rehab start, went four innings. Um, I read that it was like a strong start, so I don't have the exact line on him, but Jose Urquidy getting closer as well. Caleb Smith was handed a 10-game suspension for having a foreign substance on his glove during last Wednesday's game. He has appealed and will remain active until the league comes to a final decision. Some quick prospect updates. According to ESPN Stats and Info, Wander Franco has reached base safely in 25 straight games, tied for the longest streak by a player under 21 years old in the expansion era, which dates back to 1961. So we have talked a lot about how Franco has turned it on here in the second half. It's pretty impressive. 25 straight, uh, 25 on base streak. Yeah, I was surprised to see that I was updating my rankings earlier today. I was surprised to see that uh, heading into Tuesday's action, Wander Franco for the season is averaging 3.25 head-to-head points per game. To put that in perspective, that's what Jorge Polanco's averaged this season. That's higher than what Jay Cronenworth's averaged this season. Higher than what Carlos Correa's averaged this season. Uh, so, you know, a lot of that in a points league, it, it it helps that Wander Franco strikes out as infrequently as he does. But that's not all of it. That doesn't explain all of it. A lot of ex- extra base hits he's gotten apart from just home runs. Yeah, he's he's really he's really looking good here all of a sudden. Yeah, think about he's averaging 3.3 fantasy points per game and he hasn't even been that good yet. You know what I'm saying? He's 775 mm-hmm. OPS, yeah. but it's the plate discipline, only a 16% strikeout rate, right around an 8% walk rate. I think that actually has a chance to to be even better. Obviously, I mean he's only uh 20 years old and wasn't doesn't turn 21 until March 1st of next year, so Man, lots to be excited about on on Wander Franco. Scott, how early do you think he's drafted next year? I was just thinking about it in my head. He's gonna well, be he's gonna be really hyped up. I'm thinking he's he's gonna be like a top five or six round pick. The next six weeks are gonna say a lot. Yep, they're going to say a lot. If he if he if he really surges here to end the season, I mean, he might go as early as round four. Yep. If he struggles. Uh, I would say somewhere in between round rounds four and eight, depending on depending on how these last five and a half weeks go. I think that definitely makes yeah. some sense. And the playoffs, and the playoffs, he could he's somebody who could really elevate his status in the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, just look at his teammate Randy Rosarena, right? What he did in the playoffs last year and how that affected his draft stock. So uh, we shall see some prospect promotions. I wanted to mention the Nationals starting pitcher Cade Cavalli. Their first-round pick from 2020 has been promoted to AAA. Lots of strikeouts. Some questionable control there, but uh, he's he's got some nasty stuff. Texas Rangers third baseman Josh Young was promo- promoted to AAA over the weekend. He hit his first home run at AAA on Monday. Cleveland outfielder George Valera was promoted to AA. And Twins first base first base prospect Aaron Sabato, who was their first first round pick, maybe second round pick in 2020 last year, was promoted to High A. Last I believe pro- he was a first-round pick. Last prospect note here, Jaron Duran was optioned back to AAA. He was batting 221 with a 37% strikeout rate, eerily similar to Jared Kelnick earlier on in the season. Uh, and mm. all of those $150 fab dollars that I spent on Jaron Duran in my main event league, Scott, are now gone. And I assume we can drop him in all redraft leagues. Swing and a miss. Yeah, I had dropped him in some five outfielder leagues already because he wasn't even playing every day. Understandably, he wasn't he wasn't performing. 
You know, Scott, as much as I enjoy going to live baseball games, nothing beats relaxing at home and watching as many games as I want. Some things are just better at home. And our new sponsor, Peloton, delivers a workout experience that you'd never imagine was possible from the comfort of your own home. What I love about Peloton is how personalized they make it. There are different classes for everybody, regardless of your mood or fitness goals. This isn't just a bike ride. You can choose from different types of cardio, strength training, yoga, Pilates, outdoor runs, meditation, and more. If you're competitive like me, Check out Ride to Greatness with instructor Alex Toussaint. It's a head-to-head training and competition series where you're racing against members of the opposite team. With the Peloton bike, there's nothing like working out from home. Learn more at OnePeloton.com. New members can try Peloton classes free for 30 days at OnePeloton.com slash app. Terms apply. That's O-N-E-P-E-L-O-T-O-N.com. We're going to take a quick break. When we return... The Worryometer, next on Fantasy Baseball Today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. So let's fire it up, Scott, the Worryometer here on a Wednesday. And we received a tweet, probably a few tweets on Tuesday night, regarding Jose Barrios, who was up against the White Sox. Three innings, nine hits, four runs, did have six strikeouts to zero walks. But in five starts with the Blue Jays now, he's got a 4.85 ERA. 25 strikeouts over 24 and a third is fine. The swinging strikes weren't great, even with Minnesota earlier this year. I think it it was below 11%. Entering, yeah, that's not, not really his thing. Entering Tuesday in these in four starts with Toronto before this fifth start in there, he was below 8% swinging strike rate. So those are mm-hmm. way down. Where are you at, Worryometer 1 to 10, on Jose Barrios? Oh... Uh, I don't think he's any different. Uh, so I, I guess you could say one. I, I worry in the sense that, you know, I, I think he's always on the verge of being overestimated. And I think his first two starts with the Blue Jays went so well that, um, yeah, that, that a lot of people may have been in that spot. He's always been prone to these starts like these, stretches like these, even, which is why his, career best DRA was 368 coming into this season. And, and, you know, normally he's been right around an ERA right around four. Uh, yeah. Uh, he still has a career best. Oh no. Now it's up to 370. So he, he, he now has the second best DRA of his career, even as, even as the last three starts have gone how they have, but you look at the velocity, it seems to be fine. And, uh, yeah, I'm just not, I'm just not that worried. I I just think this is part of what, this is just part of what you have to expect when you invest in Jose Barrios. Barrios is just so blah. And and I don't mean that in a bad way because, you know, there are leagues where he is very useful. Obviously in deeper formats, 15 team leagues, 
You know he's going to go out there every fifth day. He's going to give you innings. He's going to be solid. But that's just what he is. I mean, he's a high-floor pitcher. There's not a ton of upside. He's usually below a strikeout per inning, a serviceable whip. He kind of just is who he is. So you got to live with these bad starts. Take the good with the bad with Jose Barrios. End of season, he's going to have somewhere in mid to high threes ERA, right around a 1.20 whip. So this kind of just is who he is. Let's talk about one of the Blue Jays hitters and their best hitter at that. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the month of August is now batting 230 with a 56% ground ball rate. He's 22 years old. He's human. He's allowed to have a bad month. I admit that. I'm not I'm not trying to make something where there's nothing here, but I did want to point out that entering Tuesday, he was batting 218 with a 706 OPS at Rogers Center. It's only 62 plate appearances, so it's a very small sample size. He had an 1180 OPS at Salem Field earlier this season and a 1418 OPS at TD Ballpark. And before they moved to back to Toronto, I, I did bring up that there was a possibility that Vlad's numbers would take a step back. I don't know if it's because he's playing in Rogers Center. It might not be correlated at all, but I just don't, thought I would point it out. 1 to 10, worryometer, Scott, on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I mean, Rogers Center is certainly known as a hitter's park. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's one. It's a one. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's continued to... Uh, let's see, he had only 286 in the month of July as well. Really, since the the All-Star break, his batting average has dropped. But, you know, he continues to hit. I guess he has, what, three home runs in August? You know, I don't know. I just don't worry. The, the power was the thing we wondered about coming into the season, and I think he's decisively answered that. And, you know, it's just just kind of a downstretch for him. He couldn't hit 340 all season. Yeah. Who can? Uh, the one thing that I just really don't like to see is the fact that the ground balls are as high as they are, 56% ground ball rate in August, but it's only one month. Let's see how he recovers in September. Scott actually has an article on the site right now, which is projecting the first two rounds for next season. So we've talked about this a few times this year, but we were always drafting for the rest of this season. So now yep. you could find that article on the site and little sneak peek, but he has Vladimir Guerrero as his third pick heading into next season. Let's talk about Matt Barnes, up 11-8 on Tuesday. Gives up a solo home run to Josh Donaldson, then a walk, then another walk. He's replaced by Hansel Robles, who then struck out two and got his 11th save of the season. Matt Barnes also struggled again on Monday, where he blew another save. So where are we at on Matt Barnes, Scott? What is the worryometer level on him? Well... It's high for the Red Sox. I'll point that out at first. Alex Cora had this to say after his struggles on Tuesday in a non-safe situation uh, when he allowed, what, another run? His ERA is up to 391 now, all of a sudden. Remember how dominant he looked for most of this season. 391 Matt Barnes ERA is up to, and Alex Cora said, yeah, we're concerned. We have to make adjustments. What does that mean? They have to make adjustments with Barnes delivery or we have to make adjustments with the way we handle our bullpen. So I, I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. But it's it's unfortunate because this, this is what can happen with every closer. Like they're all just two bad weeks away from losing their job, right? Yeah. And you look the month-by-month month breakdown for Barnes, 
you can't imagine he he could have a stretch like this where he could possibly lose his job because he was so thoroughly dominating. But I think we're there. So on the worryometer, uh, I guess I'm going to go, hmm, I think like seven on Matt Barnes. Yeah. Following this outing, he has a 16.88 ERA in the month of August, which spans uh, nine games. So it's, I mean, it's been a pretty, pretty decent size, uh, sample size here in the month of August for Matt Barnes. Are we dropping him yet anywhere? Still holding on? Okay. So yeah. No, I'm still holding on. I mean, I hope. I hope they'll they'll take a long look and and maybe sit him down for a couple days and and uh, then he'll be as good as new. I mean, it's, that's certainly not an that wouldn't be an abnormal occurrence for for it to play out that way, where we just never think about that rough patch he had in August ever again. But it could go a very different way too. It's not like Adam Adovino is having a great season either. The surface numbers are okay, but the underlying numbers are much worse. He's walking over five per nine right now. Hansel Robles is a name. He's <laughs> not very good this year, yeah, but I mean, there's Garrett Whitley too. Uh, Ga- a- I think Garrett Whitlock. I'm sorry, Garrett Whitlock. He has Pizzeria. Garrett Whitley with someone else. I think. <laughs> I actually think former Yankee Garrett Garrett Whitley, and then and then he went to Tampa Bay. I think it was, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. Garrett Whitlock. Garrett is Whitlock. Having- is having a fantastic season, 1.64 ERA on the year. So, could be a possibility for them. The Yankees, Aroldis Chapman, he entered up 5-3. On Tuesday, he gave up two hits, two walks, an earned run. He was pulled for Wandy Peralta, who got the final out. And now this is uh, the first two outings for Aroldis Chapman where he's looked pretty bad. So, where are we at, Worryometer, on Chapman? His ERA is approaching 4-2, just like... Just like Matt Barnes is hard, hard to believe. I'm not quite as worried because I, I, I think Aaron Boone would be obviously Aroldis Chapman, one of the the all time great closers, right? So I think Aaron Boone would be very slow to remove him, and so that's what gives me the most hope with Chapman. But. It's been, I mean, these struggles didn't just start with him coming off the IL. Really about the time, uh, about the time that the, the, the sticky substances were removed from the equations, which, you know, the timing of it, I, I don't mean to imply anything. Oh, you could, but, you I'll know, say it. Those cheating scoundrels, the New York Yankees, they're all use, cheaters. Use your own judgment. Uh, and he did recover in July after a very bumpy June. But the, in the month of June, his ERA rose from 0.43 to 3.77. And he struggled to keep it down, to get it back down since then. Specifically, so, I, th- this is before um, entering Tuesday's numbers. But from June on, in 21 and a third innings pitched, Aroldis Chapman has a 6.75 ERA. Yeah. It's very bad. Yeah, that makes sense. I'll go six. I think much like Matt Barnes, we obviously have to hold the role as Chapman and see where it goes from here, but it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, the next save, maybe they go back to Chad Green and, and maybe they kind of alternate and stuff, but Aaron Boone has showed now if a role as Chapman gets into trouble in a specific game, he's not just going to let him work out of it. We saw that on Tuesday. And I think that's the case going forward for a role to Chapman. Jesus Lazardo, last one I wanted to mention here. He's just been awful since he's joined the Miami Marlins. How about this? This entire line. 22 and a third innings pitched with the Marlins for Jesus Lazardo. 
He has given up 24 earned runs, so more than an, a run per inning. He has 17 walks to 20 strikeouts. I don't know if it's the, I broke my hand playing a video game, slamming it down, whatever it is. He's still only 23 yeah. years old, but this dude is broken right now, Scott. He is absolutely broken. If you own, if you have Jesus Lozardo in a dynasty league, what's your worryometer on him? It's like the the costliest video game malfunction ever. <laughs> Meltdown. Uh, look, for the rest of this season, it's a 10. I don't know that he deserves to make another start. It's real. I think the conversation for Jesus Lazardo at this point is, how does it change his value in a dynasty league? And I'd still consider him a buy low there. But, you know, if we are talking a dynasty context, I'll put the worryometer about a four. Who would you I, rather buy low on in Dynasty, Scott? Jesus Lazardo or Spencer Howard? Lazardo, because he had a really successful rookie season just last year. And even this year, before he broke his hand, he was looking pretty good. It's 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 strange how he just he has nothing right now. It's it's and but it isn't like he lost velocity, and that's always a very encouraging sign to me when they're still throwing hard. That that gives me hope that they can get it back. Um, but clearly what he's doing now isn't working. All right, let's quickly run through. Three teams had massive offensive showings on Tuesday night. The Boston Red Sox, the White Sox, and the Los Angeles Angels. We'll start with the Red Sox, and shout out to you, Scotty. I know that they were one of your top five hitter matchups this week, and you had both Hunter Renfro and Kike Hernandez on your top 10 hitters, and they performed very well in this game. Hunter Renfro had a double dong. He's now up to 25 homers for the season. He has 10 home runs in the month of August alone and has actually been better against right-handed pitching recently. I know normally we want him against lefties, but he's he's gotten a little bit better. That OPS is slowly climbing against righties. He's 78% rostered. Kike Hernandez, two for five with his 16th home run, and he has an OPS now over 900 in the second half of this season. 74% rostered. Scott, if you could just add one of these guys in a shallower league, who do you like more between Renfro and Kike Hernandez? Well, it's worth pointing out if you need a second baseman, Hernandez would be the choice because yeah. Renfro can't play there. But if we're talking strictly for the outfield, I'll take Hunter Renfro. In fact, maybe surprised here, Hunter Renfro has actually averaged more head-to-head points per game. You don't even think of that as his format because his plate discipline is not so great. More head-to-head points per game this year than Alex Verdugo. And that's not even including the the two-homer game he just had. Yeah, no, it's it's, been, that? it's been great for, for Hunter Renfro. And yeah, I was actually a huge fan of his back on his Padres days. I, I really thought he was going to be a great ball player. And he's bounced around a little bit. It hasn't worked out. But man, whatever the Red Sox have done to get him back on track, kudos to them because it's been an awesome, awesome season for Hunter Renfro. And you mentioned Alex Verdugo bouncing back a little bit here. Back-to-back three-hit games. So... Hopefully that carries on rest of the season. We could definitely use that. And then Travis Shaw, let's give him a little shout-out. Back-to-back days with a home run now with the Boston Red Sox. Anything to see here, Scott? I could see him playing first base against right-handed pitching in a platoon with Bobby Dahlbeck. Yeah, maybe. I'm still I'm still thinking that for the playoffs, presuming they make the playoffs because they're, they're kind of fading here, are the Red Sox. Matt Barnes not helping with that. But presuming they make the playoffs, I, I still want I still think they're gonna want to have Schwarber at first base for that just to optimize their lineup. So 
uh, I know he's been doing some work there. They're taking a, they're taking their sweet time moving him over there, and I really don't think Travis Shaw. Like I'm, I'm just so over Travis Shaw, you know. Yeah. What what did Heath used to call him? The mayor of Ding Dong City. Is that what it was? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Let's talk about the White Sox. They only scored five runs, but they had 18 hits. Luis Robert, Yoan Moncada, Jose Abreu, and Eloy Jimenez combined for 11 of those hits, one double and one homer. Jose Abreu was the one who hit the home run, and he's having a massive August. 307 batting average, eight homers. 41% fly ball rate, 43% hard hit rate for Jose Abreu. And Yoan Moncada has an 11-game hitting streak, albeit with only one home run. So it's been a really weird year for Moncada. It's got, like, the batting average has been fine. Plate discipline's okay, but there's not really any power. There's not any speed. It's it's just kind of there. It's, I don't know, it's boring. Yeah, it's been tough to figure out because he hasn't made his usual rate of hard contact you know pretty much throughout his career uh he's either he's either made he's either struck out way too much or that's usually been what's on the back too high of a strikeout rate for you on Mikata, but he would make some really high-end quality contact that suggested if he could just get the strikeouts under control then the production would be there uh, strikeouts are under control this year and the production isn't there. And, you know, his hard, his average exit velocity, hard hit rate, they're actually not bad. They're above average, but they're not, they're not as good as we're used to seeing from Yon Moncada. Yeah, it's, I'm looking at it now too. It's weird. He's hit, he's hitting the ball hard, but ground ball rates up a little bit. I don't know. A lot of line drives. It's just no power for Yoan Moncada. Mm-hmm. The Angels put up 14 runs on the Baltimore Orioles, and I wanted to highlight Brandon Marsh, who went four for six with two RBI, and in August, he's batting 284 with four doubles, two triples, zero homers, but he does have two steals. He also has 36 strikeouts over 20, 22 games, not not innings pitched. I, I get so crazy when I'm writing these notes down. I'm just like furiously typing away. I don't. Sometimes I just don't even pay attention, but... Brandon Marsh has 36 strikeouts in 22 August games, so that's obviously a lot. He's 22% rostered. Joe Adele went two for four with a triple and four RBI, but he's still just batting 213, 29% strikeout rate. Scott, who would you rather have, Brandon Marsh or Joe Adele? Uh, Joe Adele, for sure. Yeah, I mean, Joe Adele is, relatively speaking, we're not worried about the strikeouts with him, right? Yeah, I mean, he was... This was basically what he was doing in the minors, right? Right around 25, 30 percent. Yeah. Like the way Marsh is striking out right now, that's just that's not going to work. It's prohibitive. Yeah. Adele, you know, you could you could see how he could work with that 29 percent strikeout rate. These surging hitters look like they are back. Cattell Marte over his last 10 games, he has 14 hits, including three home runs. And you might notice a theme here. If you listen to every podcast, one, thank you. And two, these are all names that I recently said I'm either dropping or dropping dropping in my rankings. So I'm happy that I can uh, spur them and and you know help them get back on track. But Cattell Marte is one of those that I mentioned I lowered in my rankings and and now he's bounced back. Jazz Chisholm, I think I mentioned I would drop him for Josh Rojas. I think I said that last week or two weeks ago. He went one for four with two steals on Tuesday. He's now up to 15 steals for the season. His last 18 games since returning, 270 batting average, three homers four steals, a 19% strikeout rate, 30% line drive rate for Jazz Chisholm. So 
I mean, that strikeout rate is everything for him. Sub 20%, that's an awesome mark. Giancarlo Stanton hit his 22nd home run. He now has four homers over his last seven games. And he mentioned that playing the outfield has actually helped him at the plate. And we've heard that from hitters before. So uh, playing the outfield more in the month of August has been Giancarlo Stanton. And then Tommy Edmond, he has 15 hits over his last 11 games. He added a stolen base on Tuesday. He is still 94% rostered. Scott, anything you would like to add on Cattell Marte, Jazz Chisholm, Giancarlo Stanton, Tommy Edmond? No, I mean, not really. I think Jazz Chisholm is uh, is worth sticking it out with through the highs and lows. It's just you don't see many middle infield eligible guys, uh, certainly not that you could pick up instead, who are capable of impacting both the home run and stolen base category. I think he's proven a lot this year. I don't think he's peaked by any means, and I think there will remain rough stretches, but he looks like somebody who's going to stick around for the long haul, I think. He is a name, Jazz Chisholm, that I am very interested to know what his 2022 value is going to look like, specifically in category leagues, because, you know, if I'm saying this, there's probably a lot of people that feel the same way, but... He's someone that I could see being very, very excited about uh, with Jazz Chisholm. Like, he's, yeah. dealt, he's dealt with he, some injuries, but like the first month when he was completely healthy, he was absolutely crushing it. Then you know he had some leg stuff and, and a few other things. He had like a COVID situation. It's been a weird year for Jazz Chisholm, but if he puts it all together, I, I think he can be a twenty homer, thirty steal guy. I, I don't, I don't think that's crazy. Yeah, I think it's. I'll have. I would have to get a list in, of names in front of me to say for sure, but I think there's a good chance he'll be. I'll say top 12. I'll, I'll say top 12 at both second and shortstop heading into next year. I was going to say top 10, but I'll, I'll. it might only be top 12 at shortstop. All right, let's rank some hitters in shallower leagues. These names are also very hot right now. Colton Wong, 15 hits with three homers over his last 10 games. He's 75% rostered. Ryan Mount- Mountcastle had a double dong on Tuesday. He's now up to 23 homers. He's got seven hits, four homers in his last seven games. 79% rostered. Anthony Santander, Four for five with two doubles and his 13th home run on Tuesday. Seven hits, three homers over his last three games. And then Isaiah Kiner-Falefa went two for four. He has 14 hits over his last 10 games. Pretty empty batting average, 70% rostered. Scott, do you have a favorite of this group? Or or you could just rank them, but it's kind of weird because it's dependent on positional need, yada, yada. So Colton Wong, Ryan Mountcastle, Santander, and IKF. I was thinking about what I just said. It's going to be hard to get Jazz Chisholm in the top 12 at shortstop. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the names again. Um, it's possible. Willie Adamas, Dansby Swanson, if we're just talking a Roto League. Anyway, okay, so you're asking me about hitters who performed well on Tuesday. Um, how would I prioritize them? I think Mountcastle, number one. Um, but I'm interested in Santander. He's had a huge month, and I like guys who don't strike out much. He doesn't strike out much. He's obviously let us down for most of this year after seemingly breaking through last year. But I'm willing to give him another chance, as good as he's looked here in the month of August. And he's been raising his launch angle this month, which which is something he did last year. He wasn't striking out. He put the ball in the air, obviously. That's a Mm -hmm. recipe for success in Camden Yards. And and he's only 57% rostered Anthony Santander, so... Even in three outfielder leagues, if, if you're really desperate, 
Uh, he is a name that I would look at. Hey, real quick, we saw some regression from Madison Bumgarner on Tuesday against the Pirates, right, of all teams. They're awful against left-handed pitching. It's a cake matchup. Six innings, four runs, five strikeouts. I believe he gave up two or three home runs. I was watching this start, and he... There could have been a few more. He he got clobbered. He gave up a lot of hard hits. Um, Dylan Cease, one of his best starts of the season. Seven innings, one run, seven strikeouts, just one walk against the Toronto Blue Jays. He had 15 swinging strikes on 95 pitches. And then Eric Fetty, six and a third, one run, 10 strikeouts. Is there anything here, Scott, or is this just a facing the Miami Marlins thing for Eric Fetty? I think that's all it is. We've seen so little from of this from him ever in the majors. Uh, it's been a little better this year overall, but yeah, I don't, I don't think double digit strikeout efforts are really in, in his, uh, in his skill set. Call to the pens and bullpen updates for the Mariners. Drew Steckenrider recorded the final seven outs on Tuesday and picked up the save. He is 9% rostered. And then on Monday, Paul Seawald picked up his seventh save. He's 40% rostered. I do think that number should be higher for Paul Seawald. Scott, should both of these guys be rostered in deeper category leagues? Drew Steckenrider as well? Deeper, yeah. But Seawald could, of course, be rostered in shallower. I, I think he's, as much as the Mariners are willing to have a closer. I think it's Seawald. He had worked, I think it was five of the previous seven days. Um, so you could understand why he got, he got the day off here on Tuesday. Trying to see that for sure. Yeah, five of seven, Seawald had worked. So he was due for a day off and Stegenreiter was going, so they just left him in. But obviously Stegenreiter's not going to be available tomorrow. I think that uh, David Bednar needed a day, day off on Tuesday as well because yeah. he had pitched three of the previous four games for the Pirates, which meant Chris Stratton came in for his second save of the season for the Pirates. For Tam- the, Mariners, the Mariners are off Wednesday, actually, so both Seawald and Steckenreiter are going to have a day off. <laughs> for Tampa Bay, Andrew Kittredge pitched two innings, four strikeouts for his third save. Josh Fleming got the save for the Rays on Sunday. Colin McHugh got the save on Saturday. So... Tampa Bay Rays. The closer carousel goes round and round. For the Tigers, Michael Fulmer got the final four outs for his eighth save. Gregory Soto threw 38 pitches on Sunday, so he probably wasn't available, I would assume. The Reds, complete mess once again. Michael Lorenzen recorded one out in the sixth. He started the seventh inning, loaded the bases. Michael Givens then relieved him in the seventh inning. Gave up a sack fly, sack fly, and then a double, and they wound up losing the game. Josh Hader picked up the save, but yeah, the Reds. I know, I know, uh, I know David Bell wants to be like the cool kids, do the whole leverage thing with his relievers. No rolls, just leverage. It's really not working for him. I he, think he's the new Gabe Kapler. Yeah. <laughs> from Gabe Kapler's Phillies. It's not days. working for him. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's working pretty well for Scott Service. You could understand why he keeps it up. And of course, Kevin Cash with the Rays, but yep. I, don't, I don't know that, I don't know that Bell. I don't know that Bell's bullpen is deep enough to get away with that. No, I, I just I don't think he has the personnel. He's got to go back to the drawing board. Maybe watch some film from our guys, Kevin Cash and who was the other name you mentioned? Scott Service. Wednesday streamers to stream or not to stream. Edward Cabrera in his debut. Would you use him against the Nationals? Johnny Cueto at the Mets. Tyler Gilbert, Mr. No-Hitter himself at the Pirates. John Lester versus the Tigers. Mitch Keller 
versus the Diamondbacks and Zach Davies versus the Rockies. I think it's extremely dangerous to use Edward Cabrera in his major league debut. As favorable as that Nationals matchup is. Wouldn't it be me, guy? Uh, I, don't love, I don't love any of these. Johnny Cueto at the Mets is probably my favorite, but of course he's coming off the I.L. Yeah, these are not great. How about Thursday? Brad Keller at the Mariners. Eliezer Hernandez versus the Nationals. Patrick Corbin at the Marlins. Miles Michaelis at the Pirates. Brett Anderson versus the Reds. And no-brainer, John Gann at the Boston Red Sox. This is actually a pretty good group. You'd have to have no brain to start John Gann at the Red Sox. See what I did there? All right. Um, no, this is a pretty good group. Keller at the Mariners. I like that. Eliezer Hernandez against the Nationals. I like that. Those are those are definitely the favorites. But um, the Miles Michaelis, the Pirates could go okay. Corbin at the Marlins could go okay, especially after coming off the start he just had. I those are a little riskier than I'd prefer myself. But if if you're if you're in a position where you need to roll the dice, I don't mind Michaelis and Corbin. But my favorite are Brad Keller. And Eliezer Hernandez for yeah. Thursday. I mean, the Marlins just made Eric Fetty look good. He had 10 strikeouts. So uh, Patrick Corbin at the Marlins. Yeah, I could get behind that for Thursday. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.